go ahead and read our passage for today, which is back in Isaiah 17. Go ahead and turn to Isaiah 17. And we'll read, uh, let's see, I suppose we can read the whole, well, let's read all of chapter 17. These are the words of the Lord. An oracle concerning Damascus. Behold, Damascus will cease to be a city and will become a heap of ruins. The cities of error are deserted. They will be for flocks, which will lie down and none will make them afraid. The fortress will disappear from Ephraim and the kingdom from Damascus. And the remnant of Syria will be like the glory of the children of Israel, declares the Lord of hosts. And in that day, the glory of Jacob will be brought low, and the fat of his flesh will grow lean. And it shall be as when the reaper gathers standing grain, and his arm harvests the ears. And as when one gleans the ears of grain in the valley of Rephaim, gleanings will be left in it, as when an olive tree is beaten, two or three berries in the top of the highest bough, four or five in the branches of a fruit tree, declares the Lord God of Israel. In that day, man will look to his maker, and his eyes will look on the Holy One of Israel. He will not look to the altars, to the work of his hands, and he will not look on what his own fingers have made, either the ashram or the altars of incense. In that day, the sh their strong cities will be like the deserted places of the wooded heights and the hilltops, which they deserted because of the children of Israel. And there will be desolation. For you have forgotten the God of your salvation and have not remembered the rock of your refuge. Therefore, though you plant pleasant plants and sow the vine branch of a stranger, though you make them grow on the day that you plant them and make them blossom in the morning that you sow, yet the harvest will flee away in a day of grief and incurable pain. It's in there. You may be seated. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that today as we look at this passage in Isaiah 17, that you would bless the reading and the preaching of your word. I ask that you would help us as we come to it to understand what you have for us in this oracle against Damascus. Pray that you would bring to remembrance all that you have done, that we would remember you and love you and honor you as we ought, and that we would not uh, stray into um, a senseless behavior due to lack of understanding of who we are and who you are and what you have done. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we are back in Isaiah. This is another oracle. And just a few thoughts on the structure of this oracle. Uh, you'll notice that in the ESV, it starts, uh, chapter 18, it's called an oracle concerning Cush. I don't necessarily think that's the best way of, of thinking about this. Uh, very similar to what I said earlier on um, in some of the other oracles. Each one of these oracles is, um, Isaiah, Isaiah titles each one of his oracles. Sure, the ESV is adding titles, but if you look in chapter 19, he actually says an oracle concerning Egypt. In this chapter, he says an oracle concerning Damascus. And so when he doesn't give one of those titles, I'm inclined to think that he's not actually starting a new oracle. So you can think of all of chapters 17 and 18 as coming together. And today we'll just be looking at verses 1 through 11 in chapter 17. And next time we'll likely look at the rest of the verses of this chapter and all of 18 together. Because I think they, I, 
believe they logically go together, that this is all one big oracle. This is not two different oracles, and to associate verses 12 through 14 with chapter 18, I think, is a, an appropriate way of looking at this. So, uh, let us consider what God has for us here. What he has for us here is a reminder that we need to remember him, a reminder that we need to remember him. In verse 10, he says, For you have forgotten the God of your salvation and have not remembered the rock of your refuge. And this is really the key accusation in this whole passage. Mankind is inclined to forget who God is, especially in times of prosperity, especially when we have much. You know, you can ask yourself a simple question. Uh, when do you pray the most? Is it when you're in a great season of need or when you have everything that you need? I think universally, it is the human condition that we would only call out to God most often when we have, when we sense our great need. That is, that is why we pray, is because we recognize our need for the Lord. We recognize our dependence on him. And it's in those seasons of need that we most recognize it. And in those seasons without need, we are very inclined to forget who he is, to forget that we need him. And being a people who live in one of the most prosperous areas of the country and even the world, uh, there is a special call for us to, to consider this passage in a way that maybe others wouldn't be so obligated. All of God's word is for all of his people, but uh, there is a special way that we should consider this uh, given how much God has blessed us in this area. So this oracle concerning Damascus, which is the capital of Syria, and if you remember from earlier sections of Isaiah, uh, Syria and Israel, Syria and Israel had made an alliance, which uh, was countered by the alliance between um, Judah and Assyria. It's a little confusing because Judah and Israel are, uh, you know, were formerly a part of the same nation, and Syria and Assyria sound very similar, but. Uh, in this passage, when it addresses Damascus, it's addressing the nation of Syria. And along with Syria, that northern kingdom of Israel, where they have made this alliance. So let's go ahead and begin reading. An oracle concerning Damascus. Behold, Damascus will cease to be a city and will become a heap of ruins. The cities of Aror are deserted. They will be for flocks which will lie down and none will make them afraid. The fortress will disappear from Ephraim, and the kingdom from Damascus. And the remnant of Syria will be like the glory of the children of Israel, declares the Lord of hosts. So here you have a statement that destruction is coming to Damascus. Destruction is coming to the northern kingdom of Israel. It's coming to all of Syria. And uh, Isaiah, uh, the Lord through Isaiah, declares this. And we're going to see this chain in this, that because people have forgotten God, because the, the northern kingdom of Israel has forgotten God and uh, Damascus was never concerned about him, God is going to send destruction. That destruction leads to humility, and that humility leads to the recognition of who God is and that he is the creator of all things. He is the giver of all things. So we're going to see destruction lead to humility, lead to recognition. And here we are. With these statements of destruction, Damascus will cease to be a city. The fortress will disappear from Ephraim. You know, this language of ceasing and disappearing, I, I believe it's intentionally placed with this theme of forgetting God. 
these people have forgotten who God is. And God, in using this language of disappearing and ceasing to exist, essentially says that those who have forgotten him will be forgotten. You know, if they pretend like he doesn't exist, they will not exist. Damascus, capital of Syria, will become a heap of ruins. The cities of Arar, which is on the border of Moab and Ammon, are deserted. They will be for flocks which will lie down, and none will make them afraid. We've seen this picture in Isaiah several times, where it describes, when it describes destruction, it talks about animals living there without anyone threatening them, being able to graze in the city as though it were just an ordinary field. And we even saw uh, pictures of that. I remember seeing pictures of that in the news early on in the pandemic, when people were posting photographs of coyotes and things just wandering around San Francisco, because when all the people were inside, it was like a deserted city. That's the, that's the picture that God is imagining here. The city's destroyed, there are no people, and there are just animals free to roam about. Uh, the fortress will disappear from Ephraim. Ephraim being one of the tribes of Israel, but also, especially in Isaiah, uses just the name for the northern kingdom in general. So Ephraim doesn't refer to just one tribe, it actually refers to ten tribes. It refers to all the northern kingdom. And the kingdom from Damascus. And the remnant of Syria will be like the glory of the children of Israel, declares the Lord of hosts. So here he's saying the fortress will disappear from Ephraim. You know, uh, that northern kingdom will lose its glory, and then Damascus will lose its glory. And so when it says the glory of the children of Israel, uh, that the remnant of Syria will be like the glory of the children of Israel, means that Syria will be destroyed just as Israel is destroyed. It's not talking about some glory it will attain. It's talking about it will lower itself to that level of ingloriousness. So we have this statement here of destruction. Now, people are, people are not typically ready to hear that they will be destroyed. You know, I imagine if you spoke to Syria at this point in their existence, they would not have felt the, the real sense of threat. And so many people today do not think that there is any real destruction coming upon them, but there is. It may not come immediately in this life. It may not come uh, by way of, by way of uh, early death or disease, but it will come by way of death eventually because everyone dies. And we will all be destroyed before the Lord unless we have some hope to place our trust in, unless we have an eternal Savior. Unless we have remembered the Lord, we will not be remembered. If we have forgotten the Lord, we will be forgotten. And so he sends this destruction in order to humble them. Then that day, the glory of Jacob will be brought low, and the fat of his flesh will grow lean. Describes Jacob as fat. Now, someone who is fat is someone who has been fed well, someone who has a lot of of wealth and riches and food. They have everything that they need. And in that fatness, like I said, when people have what they need, they are inclined to forget who the Lord is. This, this picture of Jacob being fat, this calls to mind a very um, famous passage in Deuteronomy. I don't know if it's coming to anyone else's mind, but I'd like to turn to Deuteronomy 32. And if you'll go ahead and turn there, I'll, I'll read a, a larger passage. But in the Song of Moses, describing the people's tendency to forget who God is, it speaks of 
Jacob growing fat. And if you remember the old covenant that was made with, with, by Moses or through Moses with the people of Israel, between God and the people of Israel, it's all hinged on that preface that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out of the land of Egypt. It's all prefaced on remembering who he is and his salvation that he has provided. And so in thinking about how this people have maintained this covenant, he addresses how as God has blessed them with salvation, they have done the exact opposite of what they are supposed to do. They have not thanked him for these things, but they have turned from him. You start in verse 10. He found him in a desert land, in the howling waste of the wilderness. He encircled him. He cared for him. This is speaking of God caring for Israel. He kept him as the apple of his eye, like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that flutters over its young, spreading out its wings, catching them, bearing them on its pinions. The Lord alone guided him. No foreign god was with him. He made him ride on the high places of the land, and he ate the produce of the field. He suckled him with the honey out of the rock and oil out of the flinty rock. So miraculously providing for the people. Curds from the herd and milk from the flock with fat of lambs. Rams of Bashan and goats with very finest of the wheat. And you drank foaming wine made from the blood of the grapes. But Jeshurun, another name for Jacob, but Jeshurun grew fat and kicked. You grew fat, stout, and sleek. Then he forsook God who made him and scoffed at the rock of his salvation. They stirred him to jealousy with strange gods. With abominations, they provoked him to anger. They sacrificed to demons that were no gods, to gods they had never known, to new gods that had come recently, whom your fathers had never dreaded. You were unmindful of the rock that bore you, you forgot the God who gave you birth. These people have been specially blessed with God with miraculous salvations time and time again. And their response to that was to, to grow, as they grew fat, they forgot the Lord who gave them birth. And so we are being told that there is a great danger in forgetting who the Lord is as he is good to us. Now this is, especially um, a cause for concern for the Christian. The Christian has been miraculously brought out of darkness into light. One who, is, one who is part of the church has been a recipient of God's word. They have seen uh, wonderful works of the spirit. And as they are blessed with these things, and as they experience even the blessings of uh, obedience to God and seeing how that orders one's life, there can be cause for, well, there can be uh, circumstances that lead someone to cease to trust in the Lord because he has saved them from things. Do you see how backwards that is? The salvation of the Lord should cause one to remember the Lord, but many times it causes people not to remember the Lord. Now, this doesn't just apply to the, to the one who's a regular church tender and in church often. Uh, you see in this previous passage that we looked at, this is an oracle concerning Damascus, right? This is not just about Israel, but about the whole Israel-Syria alliance. And so, likewise, since all good things come from God, this applies, even if it applies in a special way to the recipient of God's salvation. It applies also to those who have been simply recipients of God's goodness, which everyone is. Everyone who has benefited from what is called common grace, the fact that rains, uh, 
bring life to crops everywhere, that the sun shines on both the evil and the good, those who receive these things from God and do not remember him, they themselves will be forgotten. Isaiah 17 Isaiah 17 speaks of Jacob growing fast and forgetting. Uh, There's another passage that this brings to mind for me, and that is Proverbs 30. So in Proverbs 30, 7 through 9, short side note, uh, I had actually memorized this verse, but apparently I grabbed it out of the wrong translation. So I, I would like to memorize it from the ESV, but I don't, I don't actually know it from the ESV. Two things I ask of you, deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. So here you have Solomon recording this, uh, Solomon recording this proverb, right? One of the wealthiest men who have ever lived. Whether or not he wrote the original proverb you have in verse 31, it says the words of Agur, the son of uh, Jaka. Regardless, you know, as Solomon's compiling all these things, he's one of the richest men in the world. And for him to record this as wisdom, to pray that you don't become too rich. Now, how many people pray for that? I, I often pray the second half of this prayer not to become too poor, <laughs> but to not become too rich. How many people pray for that? Because when one grows fat, they are inclined to forget the Lord, and that's exactly what it says here. Lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Who is he? I've, I've forgotten who he is. Do not forget the Lord. Verse 5, and it shall be as when the reaper gathers standing grain, and his arm harvests the ears, as when one gleans the ears of grain in the valley of Rephaim. So uh, the farmers would leave gleanings for the poor to come and pick up, but then the poor would come and glean, and then there'd be even less left. Gleanings will be left in it, as when an olive tree is beaten, two or three berries in the top of the highest bough, four or five in the branches of the fruit trees, declares the Lord God of Israel. So further describing that humiliation that will be brought, the one who is fat will be made lean. They will, all their, all their um, prosperity will be taken away so they have none left. And here it's describing a very literal, well, I guess it's figurative because it's talking about trees and things, but it's talking about an actual reduction of the numbers of people in these cities that as they are destroyed, uh, there will be hardly anyone left. God will... God will humiliate these people. And so we should be, we should consider this and pray for humility even prior to God calling us to humility through such, uh, through such severe means. We should recognize the danger and as we pray, pray for humility that he might be able to bless us without the danger of us, of us growing, uh, growing fat and forgetting. We should pray as as you see in the Proverbs, not to be too rich, but we should also pray simply to be humble so that should God bless us, it not be a harm to us, that those blessings would not be turned into cursings. 
praise the Lord in good times and bad times. Do not, do not wait for the, for the bad times to praise the Lord. Pray to him regularly and continually. Remember your need for him because you are always in need for him regardless of whether or not you feel it. And so that destruction leads to humiliation which leads to a recognition of who God is. Verse 7, And that day man will look to his maker and his eyes will look on the Holy One of Israel. He will not look to the altars, to the work of his hands. He will not look on what his own fingers have made, either the ashram or the altars of incense. Mankind, no longer looking to these different gods, recognizing that these different gods are no hope. Only the Lord is any hope. Now, if you continue reading here, it speaks, it continues speaking of that, of that destruction. So it is not clear to me whether or not this is speaking of a recognition that is full of true repentance or whether or not this is simply a recognition that is one of regret. You know, every knee will bow to the Lord, but that does not mean that everyone will be saved. Some of those knees that bow are not bowing willingly, right? They are being forced to recognize who the Lord is. They are being forced to remember him and not forget him, but apart from repentance. And so this, these two verses leave it vague, leave it open as to whether or not one who remembers the Lord, the one who God humiliates, does so repentantly or does so truly. As we, as we receive trials in this life, they are calls to truly repent, not to just recognize God because everyone will be brought to the recognition of God. Everyone will be forced to bow the knee to Christ. But we should turn to him with repentance, turning from our forgetfulness and knowing that we should have remembered him. Have you ever seen a uh, child who's just learning how to unbuckle their car seat? You know, kids' car seats are really hard to unbuckle, but a lot of times when they first learn, they get really insistent that, no, I want to unbuckle myself. So the parent lets them try, and, and a lot of times, you know, if they're fairly new to this, they're not able to, and then they realize they're trapped there while their parent's just sitting there watching them be trapped, and they have to, they have to look to their parent. They have to look to their father, and ask for his kindness. Otherwise, they will be trapped in that chair forever. <laughs> of course, no parent would do that to their child. But God is not the, he is not the father of all. He is only the father of those who, who turn to him and trust true humility and repentance. In that day, their strong cities will be like the deserted places of the wooded heights and the hilltops. That's referring to you know, these, these places where there are ashram and altars. Which they deserted because of the children of Israel, and there will be desolation. All these things destroyed. For you have forgotten the God of your salvation, have not remembered the rock of your refuge, the rock of their refuge being the one that has saved them. Therefore, though you plant pleasant plants, and sow the fine branch of a stranger, Though you make them grow on the day that you plant them and make them blossom in the morning that you sow, yet the harvest will flee away in a day of grief and incurable pain. Pleasant plants and the vine branch of a stranger. The vine branch of a stranger. Here it's referring to something that they would have gotten from the outside, right? It's talking about foreign, order, or foreign articles of religion, right? And they have planted these things. They have, they have worshipped these other gods. They, they feel that they're receiving some kind of blessings from these gods. And it's saying, though you make them grow on the day that you plant them, 
and make them blossom in the morning that you sow, yet the harvest will fade away. These things will not bear fruit. These other things that people trust in will, will come to nothing. You know, people trust in all sorts of things, right? They, they trust in their job. They trust in uh, their own ability and strength. You know, just this past year, I can say the various things people have put their trust in, a particular politician, right or left, that they think is going to save them and has failed them. They think about uh, the, the power of humanity and science to conquer all the world's problems, and it simply can't. Because science and humanity are not as great as God. And God would not allow for such things to be so conquered by humanity that humanity would be able to, to rise up and say, I did this thing. Now, humanity does do that. <laughs> but without sufficient cause. People can put their trust in these things, and they can see some initial benefit. But ultimately, these things will be stripped away. We must remember the Lord if we wish to be remembered. If we forget the Lord, we will be forgotten. And so, Christ, Jesus Christ, came to remind us of the Lord. And he himself was one who frequently remembered the Lord, frequently trusting in him and going to him in prayer. You know, as Jesus conducted his ministry, and he would often retreat to go pray, I'm always struck by that, because I think, well, everything's going fine. Why does he, why does he go pray now? <laughs> uh, nothing's wrong. You know, I get it in the garden, he goes and prays, because he knows something's about to happen. But why does he retreat after these things and go pray to the Lord? Well, the answer is because he did not allow fatness to cause him to forget the Lord. He has perfectly obeyed this commandment. And so, as he has died on behalf of all those who trust in him, he has died on behalf of those who have forgotten him, on behalf of those who would trust in him, but have not perfectly remembered the one who has saved them. We are weak people who have not remembered God as we ought, but if we put our trust in Christ, he bears the penalty that is owed to us. All this destruction described here in Isaiah 17, he has borne that on behalf of his children. And think about some of the accusations he and his disciples received. I, I think specifically of the blind man who was, uh, who called himself a disciple of Jesus after he was healed. And the, the people said, has this man really healed you? Give glory to God. What were they saying? Remember the one who really saved you. They were accusing Jesus' disciples and implicitly him of forgetting God. This is one of the accusations that was thrown his way towards the Messiah. He is one who perfectly remembered the Lord and yet was accused of being one who had forgotten the Lord. So when he's on the cross, he is suffering the penalty for ones who have forgotten the Lord. That very penalty. And not only that, but in, in giving us the Holy Spirit who is called in 1 Corinthians 2, he's given us what's called the mind of Christ that we might remember the Lord. You know, he has not just forgiven us for forgetting, but he has also given us a mind by which we may begin remembering who the Lord is. We may begin uh, to recall our salvation in a godly manner and remember him. And so we should do so. We should do so in prayer, in uh, we should do so in prayer, in community, gathering with each other and reading the word, and remembering what God has done, and this is not just a story of what happened to many other people, but this is about us. 
These are truths that apply to us. And we should, we should remember him with thankfulness. When you pray, you know, thank God for the things he has done. You know, Jesus, when he prayed the Lord's Prayer, he thanked God for all that God has done. Uh, we ought to pray with gratitude. And with that gratitude, specifically a gratitude for the great salvation that he gives. To remember the Lord, you'll be forgotten. But Jesus is one who forgives those who have forgotten and will bring to mind by the Spirit the true Savior. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for these reminders of who you are. Uh, we acknowledge our sin of uh, not remembering you. Though you have done many good things for us, though you have even saved many of us, that we have not recalled you as we ought. I pray that you would be uh, merciful and kind to us and that we would find forgiveness in your son as we turn to you in repentance. And Lord, I pray that by your spirit, by that mind of Christ, that we would remember you as we ought. In Jesus' name, amen.